Hello everyone and welcome to another episode of Billy Watson TV. It gives me great pleasure today to introduce an old, I would say, not acquaintance, more of a friend of mine. We did spend a few days together back at Edinburgh Festival 2011, which we'll get into. And yeah. we've chatted a few times since then, so I'm pleased and proud to call my friend and it's an honour to have you on the show. Welcome to the show, Cunt of Cunt and the Gang. How are you Hi, doing? Hi everyone. Hi Billy. Hi. You doing alright mate? Yeah, I'm alright, thanks, yeah. That's cool. We've just ju- jumped on a couple of seconds before we went live and we we're just kind of talking about your shed there. You've got a cool shed that you're sitting in right now, eh? Yeah, yeah. I, I, I sort of had, had it like six or seven years. They knocked a college down and so uh, all the material became available. So I just sort of chucked it all over the fence and uh, and built built myself a shed a few years ago. Yeah, it looks pretty awesome. Set up you got there more of a, it's not so much of a man cave, it's like, um, I don't know, it's quite big for a garden it's, shed. It's <laughs> it, it, really fucking big, but the, I was going to build like a little thing in the kind of, in the corner, you know, just to kind of have me keyboards and stuff in. And then, um, you know, they, they knocked the college down and there was like all these massive fucking outbuildings and all these yeah. like five metre lengths of like timber too. And so I spent sort of like nearly a month over there nearly every day, just chucking wood over the fence. And uh, the, the the site foreman, I sort of went and had a word with him and said, like, so what's happening with all this stuff? You were scanning in the wood bins, mate. And I right. said, well, it's all right if I just chuck it over my fence. I'd like to build myself a shed with it. He went, as long as you buy the boys a breakfast. Oh, so cool. I bought the boys a breakfast and then, like, yeah, got all, all this fucking great stuff. There's, like, loads of lovely sort of hardwood panelling and stuff that would all just end up in the wood bins. That's cool. So it's a mix match of different things. Oh, it's it's a complete, yeah. It's just <laughs> stuff that was sort of big, stolen and borrowed from places. There's some nice hardwood panelling. I mean, it's just full of my shit, basically. There's some nice hardwood panelling. And then this this uh, wood here was the old squash court. Um, right. Because we, uh, me and my mates used to be in a, a sort of comedy punk band. That was like our first band called Serious Problem. And we'd okay. play over the college. That was where we played our first gig. And so... You know, when I heard they were knocking it down, just wanted to reclaim as much of it as, as possible. Yeah, totally, yeah. It's, it's, these things have uh, sentimental value, so it's good to have them, keep them going. Yeah, so I'm just a sad old cunt surrounded by my memories of, you know, glory's past. Yeah, that's cool. I've Which actually threw out a few things from my past that I regret doing. You know, like concert tickets and stuff. I had a collection of them and I chucked them away. And sometimes, you know, fuck, I wish I'd kept them just, I don't know why, just to sit in a cupboard, but just to have them, you know. <laughs> oh, do you, yeah, but do you know what, like, I've, I've I've got the opposite problem is I can't throw anything away. So I've, I've found all my old concert tickets like um, a, a couple of years ago and put them all in a frame, but uh, which is which is great. But you know I've also got like a loft full of paint paint pots full of my wee and poo that I just can't <laughs> bear, can't bear to get rid of. You know because I think it will come in you know like jars full of toenail clippings and stuff. You never know. Some people say drinking pee is good for you, so. We might come to that soon if fucking the water goes off or something. Who knows? Yeah, not when it's like five years old. <laughs> Probably not. No, not that that laughing. <laughs> Just leave up the loft, I think. <laughs> so did you build, did you, did you bang bang the nails and stick all that shit together with no plan? It just kind of formulated itself. Yeah, I just, um, my, uh, Jill, uh who plays, uh, plays guitar in my band, he built a shed up the end of his garden, like, you know, right. a, a sort of little cabin and, he had his Aye. music stuff in one corner and he built a little bedroom for his lad when he stayed over. Uh, who, who instantly was killed in a fire two years later in, in his... No. But um, <laughs> he, uh, he, he built this cabin up the end of his garden and it was really fucking impressive. And like it was all just for, from reclaimed stuff because he was working doing site clearance at the time. So there was Aye. this lovely old window from a fire station and uh, 
you know, I, I, have, ma- I have massive shed envy. And oh, so <laughs> when, when all this material became available, um, yeah. Gerald sort of talked us through what he'd done. And um, I think that was the only thing we paid for was like the big posts that kind of hold everything together. Oh. And um, he got them through his work, but then they forgot to charge him for them. So I just oh, gave cool. him half of it. And we, yeah, we each had a touch. That's cool. Excellent. That's a very cool story how all that came together. I'm glad to go the extra bit for how you got the inspiration for it. Because I think that's quite important, you know, yeah. him, him helping you out. So this guy's in your band. Is this your current band? You've done some gigs recently um, with Cunt and the gang. You've done a few gigs. Was it in September or something? Um, we did We did half a dozen gigs last Christmas with the Cunt, which right. is the sort of punk arm. Aye. Yeah. So how, how, how's that going? Is this like, I've never heard any of these sort of tracks. So that was, that was the Boris Johnson one. Right. Uh, so it, it sort of happened... Um, uh, going back to 2018, <laughs> when um, I'd sort of packed in gigging and uh, I'd written my book and, and did a Kickstarter to fund the book. Right. Um, one of the stretch goals uh, was to record a punk album. That's right. Then, I can remember that now. Yeah. Yeah, and and that that sort of came came together. And right. the last track to go on the punk album uh, ended up being. I mean, it was a big fucking pain in the ass putting a band together after doing everything yourself. Just, you know, packing little cunt in a suitcase and going off around the country in your fourth fiesta, it's, it's a piece of piss. But getting yeah. four people, well, firstly, finding four people whose wives aren't complete cunts, you know, and, <laughs> and and don't mind them being in a band that use sort of ladies' least favourite words sort of 400 times per uh, per set. I had um, my girlfriend in the car listening to Complete Cunt the other day, and it, just, it starts, she's kind of like this, and then a couple of lines were hitting her, you know, like the Jade Goody one and getting a woody and stuff. <laughs> We're going down. She couldn't help but laugh. You know, it's funny to watch. <laughs> well, it's a little bit of summit for everyone. I like to think, but you just have to hope that people listen to it long enough to find that. That's true. Yeah, <laughs> there's quite a lot of depth. Like, and you know, you can tell you can be quite dirty on the surface, but there's a lot of political comment and your stuff that I think was un- unnoticed just by the kind of attitude and the angle that you come at it from. I think maybe I'm well, taking. <laughs> I, I no. I, I I mean. <laughs> I don't, I, I don't think that hard about it, but it just sort of is what it is, and and oh. I've always liked the idea of just presenting it as as a barrage of abuse and, and foul language. And if people are prepared to see beyond that and pick something out, they might find they might find something there. But lots of people just take it on face value and uh, and, oh. and can't be bothered, and you know, fuck them. Yeah, that's true. But again, if, if those people are taking and having a laugh at it, so it's a it's an audience that. Are, Taking your music for the comedy factor, and yeah. uh, it's sad twats like me that look into the the, the depth in it. You know, <laughs> I love the sad twats. They're the best. They're, they're the best twats. That's cool, man. So let's take it back, you know. So because actually, I feel like you're a bit of a kindred spirit in a way, because you know, you've already made a couple of jokes that are kind of seeming bad taste these days because everything's woke culture everywhere. But part of the Shannon Matthews thing that you just done, um, obviously you done the CD a while ago, is considered bad taste and a lot of people's eyes had complaints from MPs and stuff like that but this is where real humour lies and this is where cunt humour lies and I started my Nob Stewart character in 2003 as well which was I think you'd done cunt in yeah. 2003 so without us knowing and then we kind of met, I'd heard about you the year before 2010 where you were building up a bit of buzz at the festival and it was hard to get in to see your show um, but then the first festival and just briefly I was walking as Nob Stewart and I, I hate handing out flyers. I've got my Knob Street flyers first day of the festival, and you're walking towards me. I was like, "Oh, you cunt!" <laughs> my first festival flyer, 
And then later on, we got involved in the cock game. It was great because I want to call everybody a cunt. You know, I can't take this fucking flyer. You know? <laughs> but anyway, so I, yeah, it was just um, it was good how we kind of that, that happened. And then later on, we got involved in cock game, got to know each other a wee bit. But 2003, you had the group called, um, was it Pubic, something like that? You had the Pubic, the, cube, pubic Cube. Pubic Cube, yeah. So what was, was that was... about and how did that fall apart and cunt get born? So that was, um, that was like my little um, synth duo and uh it was me and and my uh third cousin andy who i was working with in in burton's uh menswear at the time okay. and uh andy sort of had this synth set up up in his flat he, he had like a flat on the 13th floor of chapel flats and uh would go up there and and uh he'd sort of show us his, you know he had four track and a kind of recording set up and was making this music that sounded like depeche mode it was fucking amazing and okay. like completely open to my eyes open my eyes to the possibilities of what you could kind of do in your bedroom and uh, maybe like i never really reached that level that he reached on his four track but um depeche mode's a high standard or something like that but you said you were playing in a punk band before were you into guitars and stuff were you playing in bands before that then so, so the band before that, it was really like, you, you know, sort of your first band where you just get together with a group of mates, some of who have no musical aptitude whatsoever, but there yeah. was sort of like 14 of us. Um, <laughs> and probably like out of that, less than half a dozen musicians and out of that half a dozen musicians, probably less than half of them have been playing a year. You know, it was just loads of people that just went, right, oh, fuck it, I'll do bass, you know. Uh, right. And, and uh, the guy who was playing drums for us, Rich T., we used to rehearse in his dad's shed uh, around his house, and there'd be fourteen of us, like um, all arguing over who was going to have the microphones. Um, <laughs> but um, I think where I was the tallest, I was able to hold it up high so that the little ones couldn't get it. <laughs> okay, and so cool. sort of by yeah, by that I, I became the singer, and there, there was two of us sort of singing, and yeah, and, and the rest just like dancing around and mucking about and dressed in stupid clothes, and you know, being aggressive to members of the audience and stuff, <laughs> and stuff like that. But that's pretty cool. Yeah, we sort of we lasted four gigs, and uh, and then it sort of fell apart a bit. But they kind of came back with another lineup, and they ended up being managed by Ricky Gervais and done really well, like wow. you know, on the on the sort of circuit in London. And it looked for a while like they were going to get signed by um, Right Said Fred's label, oh, yeah. uh, and then it just you know it just kind of didn't didn't happen yeah. because all their songs were about getting a stiffy in the morning and oh, hey. <laughs> yeah, so having it off in various weird ways. Is that because you started that because um, you were a singer initially? Did you yeah. start that kind of ethos? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, but but we there, there was a few sort of kin, kindred spirits, and so okay, you know, really, um, yeah, we sort of started started it together, and then um, I've carried on doing it the longest. Right, <laughs> you maintained the hard one. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's, it's been very limp at times, and sometimes it's been barely at half mast. But I have still carried on pounding away. Yeah, that's cool. And if you had to go sell it, at least you could have a wank fantasy and get some wanking in. <laughs> exactly. And, you know, I've got a big shed, so I just <laughs> wank my way around the shed. That's true. You've got to change up a wee bit. So from from that, I was going to say, actually, I've done the same thing. I actually, with my mates, formed a band within six weeks of getting a bass guitar. I was on stage doing their only gig. Mm. But we did a half-hour gig after six weeks of buying a bass guitar. That was fucking pretty scary. But I, that's what it was all about. That's to me, I was like, I always wanted to keep it going, and the drummer wasn't really into it. I was like, fucking, let's make something, because people don't really see a vision, you know. When you're young, you don't think, oh, I could be a rock star. But once it was in my head, you could do something. I was like, fuck, you could do something, you know. Let's yeah, do yeah. something, you know. So, so what was I, your band called? We called ourselves Morning Glory, and that was <laughs> that was before the 
before the Oasis album, it was actually more a case of uh, there was a Tim Buckley song called Morning Glory, and yeah, yeah. Uh, there was some Morning Glory seeds you could actually take. And me and my friend who was in the band, he actually had a great satellite dub. He is, if you want to check him out on YouTube, he's amazing electronic artist. We had a big fallout and the band ended, and he went to be quite successful. But I we took um, some um, Morning Glory seeds that people think you can get high from psychedelic, but all they did was give us a sore head and a sore belly, so it wasn't very good. <laughs> <laughs> I think there was some pesticide on or some shit, but anyway, <laughs> not not recommended. <laughs> no, I'll, I'll steer clear of the morning glory. Is a morning glory a euphemism for, for waking up with a stiffy? That's true as well. I well, actually never thought about that. I was too fucking naive in those days. Kids these days can everything, you know. <laughs> but aye, so well, you didn't yeah. have Urban Dictionary to check in those days about uh, what about what it meant. That's true as well. I that's it's amazing how many things Urban Dictionary can actually. Find out you can. Um, so anyway, so how did this? You came from that band into the next one. Yeah. Um, basically, what was that band? Pubic. So uh, Pubic Cube was me, me and me mate Andy, the the one who had the 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 simp set up in his bedroom, and we'd just go and um, go and play, just both on the microphone, no keyboards or anything. We'd just go and play like talent competitions, and we did that probably for like 18 months, but we we done quite a lot of gigs, you know, maybe like 20, 20 right. gigs, um, but mostly like talent competitions and in pubs. And a lot of the time it felt like we were going to get our heads kicked in, but <laughs> there'd always be a few, a few blokes who really liked it, you know, in amongst the people that it, <laughs> it seemed to either people really loved it or it made them really angry. Which is good, you know? <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Who wants to be Coldplay? Exactly, I. <laughs> but um, yeah, we done done lots of talent competitions in these weird little places, like weird little suburban bungalows that have been turned into um, like clubs, and uh, right. and uh, um, done one at a, a football club, and that sort of ended quite badly. We got chased right. out to the car park. This bloke with a fire extinguisher. <laughs> we thought we were going to get killed. Um, but um, but no, it, why it really... it because the lyrics were so kind of um, in your face, kind of pornographic. Uh, but yeah, I mean, it, it was just, but really, you know, it wasn't that different to what I've done since. Um, but just sort of, you know, stupid and offensive and uh, and, ridic- and ridiculous. But right. lots of people don't really like that. And and also, I found, you know, while doing Cunt and the Gang as as well, it's um, it's when people aren't expecting it and like, you know, they right. they've just gone out for a drink. Yeah. And right. they don't, you know, they don't want two people in spangly jackets Basically. singing about their cocks right. uh, when they're just trying to have a nice out, with, nice night out with their wife. I've done this gig in Turkey. It's a long, I used to live in Turkey. So anyway, I got this bar and told them you're going to do a comedy, comedy show. And I said, put me in the back where there's seats and people that want to see me are in there, watch me, put me there, you can. But no, no, these were insistent to put me in, in the main bar where there's people walking past in the street, you can. So I can't stop myself, you know, from hunting and effing and seeing. So basically, folk were walking out and that. It was a total disaster, you know. It's like, well, I did tell you, you know. Yeah. <laughs> yeah see, so. I told you. <laughs> but I also, I also quite like them ones, though, where, where uh, you know, where we, play, we played um, the local theatre, um, who put us on as part of this Ill, like ill-conceived alternative night that they had no idea what alternative comedy was because okay. the the um, the act supporting us was um, it was a bloke on a unicycle um, <laughs> in his pants uh, riding around the stage just um, smashing polystyrene cups on his head reciting the alphabet. Fuck's sake! <laughs> and then like this little disabled bloke come on in a tuxedo and sang any dream will do. 
<laughs> and you're like, this this ain't alternative comedy. And then, of course, we came on and 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 sung all our rude songs, and we just cleared the place out. Over the course of the set, we completely cleared the place out, like a you know 300 capacity theatre oh, down to well. like 30 people at the end. But the 30 people gave us a standing ovation off after right. we played "Take That a Cunts." Well, basically, again, there's a lot of similarities. I've done the Edinburgh Festival show, and it's a festival, you know, if you if they don't know you, they're just getting a room full of strangers in. Yeah. So I was doing it as Nob Stewart. In the first 10 minutes, a lot of folk would leave, you know, but then the ones that stayed, I was like, you're my hardcore posse, let's fucking make this happen, you know? So that, they, they work because you found your audience by that time, you know? <laughs> you, you can get that siege mentality at Edinburgh, though, if you, because if people, you know, if people don't like it and want, and want to walk out, you sort of, yeah, you, you sort of uh, go under the support of the people that have stayed. Exactly, yeah. <laughs> well, let's see this through together, folks. <laughs> <laughs> to the bitter end. <laughs> I'm putting you all through this together. No, basically. I've actually, I've got this joke. This can, my first wife got cancer just after she got uh, sewn up after a cesarean. The guy was doing a test and says you got cancer. So basically, I had this cancer joke. And I've done it a couple of times without warning the audience. It was like, the best thing about getting cancer was the NHS, because she got chemotherapy and her hair fell out, the NHS gives free wigs so I could chag her from behind and pretend there was fucking fresh pussy every night. And you know, Ken, they didn't, I had to say, do you want to hear my best cancer joke? And they were like, yeah. And then I could get away with it. You know, first couple of times raw, folk weren't buying that again. But to me, that's, you know, we have to turn the pain in life into funny, you know? That's where the healing is, you know? People don't really necessarily see that, but anyway. Yeah, and it's, and it's it's just a fucking joke. You haven't given <laughs> anyone cancer. Exactly, yeah. Uh, Mark, it's you're not I know somebody that died from cancer. That's what you always get. You know, people in the front row, fucking, oh, can somebody die from cancer? Well, fucking, don't we all? Can we just... Yeah. Comedy's job is to talk about stuff these days. Well, is to, you know, talk about the unsable because we're all thinking it and doing it and saying it, you know. Wank fantasy or whatever these things are, you know. Regardless if people want to or not, it probably goes in, in people's heads and they don't maybe want to acknowledge it, but bringing it to the surface, we can all laugh at these things, you know, and that's the healing. But, you know, all this, I'm offended. Everyone's got this right to be offended. Steve Hughes does a great bit on that, you know, it's like, so what? Nothing happens, you know? And, yeah, one person's, because one person's offended doesn't mean to say everyone. They don't like it. Fucking leave, especially in a live thing, you know, TV, turn the channel over. But live comedy, I think, is becoming more and more restrictive these days as well. But because of maybe your internet fame, that's helped you get your audience rather than going to the clubs and then having to deal with, you know, the, the normies out there who don't get it, you know? <laughs> yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. I, I think I, I think I sort of bypassed that a little bit. But also, you know, it, it's meant that, um, I don't know, I've, I've sort of found that I can't go back and, and do comedy kind of gigs because... I don't know. I mean, I don't know whether you kind of noticed that year of the that year of the Cockgate. I sort of <laughs> felt like there was lots of people who were really fucked off, and and lots of people who were really sort of looking forward to me getting my comeuppance and like like you know, I right. you know, sort of mates who drunk around the kind of trendy bars who, who said they'd heard people like you know saying that I was going to get fined fifty grand and all, or, you know and. Uh, and, and all this kind of stuff, and sort of reveling, reveling in the fact that I was going to get my come up as well. I'd only given out a few. I hadn't even. It weren't even me sticking the cocks on people's posters. I'd just given them out, and the audience had voted with their cock. Well, there was uh, there was um, a suggestion on it. You know what you want to do with it? We we'll just show them to the audience. Yeah, these the some of the things there. So what does it say in the back of it there? 
And these kind of these stickers are designed to help others shows by jazzing up, yeah, others posters basically. You know, so it's quite a good suggestion on the back, but you never actually done it. Well, let's just show. Well, I mean, you. I might have done a couple, but just just <laughs> to see whether they just to see whether they worked or not. Uh, well, I mean, then. if you see Jack Whitehall with his mouth open, you will do it, won't you? Well, that was a good one. That's a good one, wasn't it? Uh, and uh, we've got the opposite of the peanut tree one as well. That's too good not to do, obviously. <laughs> <laughs> That's asking for it. Uh, so, yeah, I can't, well, I was just, I actually changed the words because obviously I got involved in it and then this, um, you got nominated for the Malcolm Hardy Cunning Stunt Award. Um, and I was doing shows at the festival that year, so it was getting towards the end, and I changed the words to Wonderwall to make it about cock, cock gate, cock and balls. After all, it's just a cock and buzz. And uh, about underbelly, you can. They're, they're the ones going mental about it, and it's supposed to be a comedy fucking venue, you can. And where's the joke? It's the Edinburgh Festival, the spirit of the festival, and you can, they call it the fringe and everything, but to me the fringe is mainstream now, and there is no actual festival. You had to come out with this thing as well, didn't you? I've still got that poster. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> it might be worth something one day. Aye. That's why I've, I've, uh, I've got it in, you know, cellophane kind of thing. Sealed yeah. it. Uh, so yeah, what was this? This was quite funny as well. You issued this apology. Sorry about the cocks. Aye. Yeah, it was people... a, a really sincere apology. Aye. Trying to get everyone back on board. Aye, but there was a hint of... Um, kind of irony and it was kind of taking the piss a bit, you know, because yeah. it was fucking, yeah, the overreaction was unbelievable, wasn't it? This is a story people don't know. You stuck up these stickers and then everyone went mental and the actual, the council had to employ people or something to go around to take all the cocks off the posters. It's yeah, so funny. I had two blokes turn up at the hive where I was playing in uh-huh. like their Edinburgh City Council environmental outfits uh-huh. and told me they'd spent all day pulling out, pulling <laughs> off over 100 cocks. That was brilliant. Eh? <laughs> uh, so you're using that in your shows after that. That was part of your, your banter. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that, but that's the thing. It was all just so fucking ridiculous. It just made for really good banter in between the songs. Uh, and then we had this night, we had the kind of night... Uh, to kind of promote it with Kate Copstick. So, and there was a big crowd there that night. And you then, see, well, my, see my face there, I think that tells you everything. <laughs> yeah, you didn't seem to be too enamoured with it all. Everyone else seemed to be having more fun than you. No, be, because <laughs> because Bob had sort of taken it over and it became Bob's Bob's thing. Right. Um, <laughs> yeah, sort of like half, <laughs> halfway through and I just, you know, yeah, it just, uh, it just ended up being a big, hey, happy days. <laughs> 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 I've still got that T-shirt as well. Uh, it's in Turkey right now. Otherwise, I would have worn it tonight. Uh, bye. I've, I've had quite a good reaction turning up. We've done a few gigs in that T-shirt as well. The big, huge knob on it. <laughs> yeah, it really is a great big cock on it. It's over, over <laughs> a foot long, I think, isn't it? <laughs> uh, then I actually wasn't invited to this. I don't know how you know how I got there, but Ro Campbell done this tweet or something, Facebook message to say everyone's meeting at the stand. So I was like, fuck, I'll invite myself to that. So I turned up there. There's all these comedians. And then obviously I didn't have the same profile as all of these guys. And they're kind of looking at me, like, who invited him? Especially Bob was kind of saying, what's he doing there? <laughs> well, you you were cool with me, so that's all I was uh, happy with. Oh, uh, yeah, but, it, you know, don't, right. it don't fucking matter, does it? Exactly, aye. It was a bit of cracking then. Uh, Stuart Lee was there as well. Yeah. 
Tellingly, he didn't want to be in the big uh, the big group photo. All right. Nor did I, though. All right, okay. Did he Bob told me it'd look weird if I wasn't in it, but I'd sort of had enough of it by this point. Aye, uh, so you were just going along with it? It was just the all No, I just t- went along with it because, because I wasn't experienced enough just to tell Bob to fuck off, all basically. Right. <laughs> Look, you can see you can see I didn't mind you though. You can tell uh, by the earnest earnest expression. <laughs> in. Sure, uh, you were cool. Frank Sinatra was cool as well. He's, he's a, yeah, he's a good bloke. Uh, and then uh, I videoed a couple of your shows that year as well with a uh, little cunt there. You had the quite a good show at the Hive that year because the previous year you were in a in a pub that was getting sold out at the time. So I, I, I was Bob, in. The, the year before that, I was in the City Cafe uh, downstairs, and um, it was ridiculously fucking hot there. Um, and then the year bef- the two years before that, I was in uh, uh, the Meadow Bar upstairs. But um, uh, that, it was weird. Bar, the, the, hive, the Hive was a lot bigger than places I've played before, and it seemed like you either had a brilliant fucking gig there or mm. died on your ass. And I had a few nights in that run of the Cockgate shows where, mm. like, Oh, it was just the longest fucking gigs of my entire life and just oh, yeah. couldn't, you know, I, I just wasn't experienced enough to kind of turn it around or like really, like I dug I dug people out a few times, but I wasn't really experienced enough just to fucking dig people out or tell them to fuck off, you know, right. which is what I, what I should have done because, you know, you, older, you know you you get, going on, don't yeah, you? As you get older and the stage time and all that kind of thing, you get past a certain point where kind of you're, you're on stage and it's normal kind of thing. So you just be yourself almost. Yeah. And you understand what an audience needs. If it does need that sorting out, no one else is going to sort it out. So you take take the reins a bit and then you've got more, you realize you've got the power to do that once you've done it a few times. Yeah. You got the award as well. This is the award you got for Cunning the Gang. Cunning Stunt. So that was, um, I thought, earned that award. So even though you, had, you went along with it and maybe a the whole thing was made out of it. It did get you a bit of publicity, and it was quite a cool um, little fire. And you can they did that spirit of the fringe, you know, was missing, you know, basically. And in comedy in general, you know, I used to do. I started doing an act called The Great White Shaft, which was fucking mental. And then Nob Stewart and Hamish with Scotty, just for the madness of it, you know. And yeah. I wasn't trying to have a career, you know. And every gig would be different because you're trying to find your voice and all this stuff. And they're not really people don't really have that time now because it's like you know you get five minutes and it's all they've done a comedy course and they've got the set bit to do. But anyway, you've paved your own path, so let's continue the cunt thing. How did the cunt kick off? What was your first cunt gigs like? Um, so the first cunt gig was at, um, at the Castle Main pub in Basildon. They had a little room out the back where this bloke called Hippie Joe uh, would put on like three local bands every Thursday, and so. I, I played there supporting my, I had a, a mate who was in a sort of comedy, I suppose you'd call them a comedy duo called Retail Outlet. And I played supporting them at the Castle Main. So and, just, um, how did the cunt idea come up? The other one split up, so you had to do something. And well, the cunt Pubic Cube kind of wound down towards the end of the 90s. And then, uh, yeah, I, I didn't do anything, didn't do anything for a couple okay. of years. And oh. then, um, yeah, just just kind of got you know missed missed the oh. silliness of it. it. Was oh yeah, it, 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 so it was like a night a night at the pub because I've, I've got the same kind of half a dozen mates 
that I've had since I was like, you know, 19 or 20. And right. sort of once a month, we, we would meet up up the pub and all just talk about the silly stuff we used to do. And then right. you realise, like, as you meet monthly and talk about the stuff, that's getting further and further into the distant past. And you're like, fucking hell, I need to do, I need to do something again. And then right. that that was it. After a few beers, I walked out the pub one night and said, right, I'm, I'm going to – because right. – uh, Mate Jim had been saying about his band retail outlets. I said, right, I'm, I'm going to come and support you. I'm going to call it Cunt and the Gang. But oh. he intended it to be with a C. And then suddenly you're like, no, it's, it's Cunt and the Gang, like, like oh. Tool and the Gang, yeah. yeah. And uh, yeah, and, and then that was it. And it just reignited the fire in me just to fucking do silly, do silly stuff. And when I started, I, I kind of, you know, just went back through the pubic cube back catalogue and oh. mined that for the best ones, which was like, have a wank, and my mum found my wank mags, and the bloke up the garage fucked the sheep, and uh, a few of the other ones. And then in the interim period between finishing Pubic Cube and um, and the Cunt and the Gang gig, I, I was working for the council like, the whole time, and I'd come up with the song Use My Arsehole as a Cunt. Oh, yeah, that's a good one. <laughs> um, but I'd sort of written that like from start to finish, and so that had been knocking around for a few years, but I just hadn't had a vehicle to do anything with it. So that kind of instantly sort of up the game for everything else oh, and um i oh, think yeah. <laughs> yeah i think yeah kind of introducing that into the set just set a new set a new bar and then wanking over a pornographic polaroid of an ex-girlfriend who died came along and the carol <laughs> Valdeman song and oh, i think like they just took what i've been doing before and just start you know just started being more offensive more ridiculous and, and probably more funny yeah because um, obviously you do it in that kind of pop, did 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 kind of jingly jangly. So how the music side of it? Do you program the drums and everything, or how does that all take place in the writing of yeah, it? Yeah, it's, it's just because because um, me my Andy had his little keyboard set up. He got me set up, and I, I used to every time he was done with a piece of synth equipment, I'd buy it off him, and it was always like the shittest thing in his collection. Oh, and so that was the all, all the the first three albums were done on this little rack called a, a K1R, uh, and uh, yeah, I'd, I'd been palmed that off Andy, and so I, you know, I've always sort of written songs like you know, just since I was a teenager, I've never been able to really play any instruments apart from keyboards, but I'm not proficient on them. I wouldn't be able to play something live, but I've always just had these melodies going round and round in my head, and they oh. usually come just with an offensive phrase attached, like, <laughs> like wank, you know, like wank fantasy or use arsehole as a cunt or wanking over a pornographic Polaroid of an ex-girlfriend who died. They normally just pop into my bangers and mash. They just kind of pop into my head with these little yeah. melodies. That's how, I, that's how I got Nob Stewart, because for ages, the song Maggie May, I had the, the line, uh, wake up, Susie, I think I've got something to give to you. I'm as hard as wood and I can you love a morning screw. That's all I had for like a year or something. It was just in my head, you know. And then I was like, fuck, I need to do that. And then like, I need a character. Well, it's actually, anyway, I entered a karaoke competition and then bought a Rod Stewart wig in the, in, for a fancy dress thing. It never happened. So I spent 15 quid on this wig. So I was going to use it for something. Yeah, go get your money's worth. <laughs> exactly. I, and I done Hamish with Scotty in this tartan suit that my dad had for the 70s. So I put them together and then done Rod Stewart. And I was like, once you get one, so that was my first one, Susie Hay, and it was that was pretty full on, in your face, kind of no messing, coming on the face and shit like that, because that's comedy, you know, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> dick jokes to song. <laughs> so anyway, uh, I so 
that was quite a good gig the first one then it went quite well and then you started to do some more on the internet and getting quite popular was that how it kind of got yeah, further yeah i mean like because that was at the end of 2003 and then i didn't do anything for sort of six months i think and then played another gig with retail outlet and then just sort of got got the bug for it and and started organizing i mean i just kept going back and playing at the same venue um, right. and then i played a couple of other ones um in essex and um and then that was around the time that MySpace uh, had started. So I put a few of the songs up on MySpace and set up a MySpace profile. And then, um, yeah, it just seemed to, like, find an audience, which, you know, that's the hardest hardest thing, isn't it? He's, he's oh, to right. kind of, yeah, <laughs> get, bridge that gap between making something and get, getting people to like it and appreciate it. But, yeah, um, yeah it, it sort of, yeah, it, it's sort of quite... Nice it's quite in the early days, wasn't it? Well, the early days of social media and stuff like that. So, again, that was the place to be, and it was for creative people. So, I guess that was people there were looking for stuff, and yeah, because yeah. it was very different. That's did you, So, that made MySpace with the claps, and did you take an audience to YouTube or something? But but there, there wasn't... Um... There wasn't a massive amount of, you know, that like like nowadays when you you know, when you try and do anything, there's millions of people right. trying to do something now. But uh, yeah. it felt like at the start of MySpace, if, you know, you could stick you had, out. You, had, you actually had a chance. You know, there was an audience there for you to capture if you if you had the right thing. And right. then, yeah, as, as MySpace kind of went tits up, I started making a few videos on YouTube. And again, that was the same thing. Like when. I mean, people yeah. don't really remember, but when YouTube started off, it was like you've been framed. There were pictures of cats playing the piano, like a baby biting his brother's finger, a fat man getting out of the swimming pool and his trunks coming down. Like, that's what YouTube was when it when it started off, because not everyone had phones on their camera. Well, I mean, there was no such thing as camera phones. So yeah. to make a video, you'd have to record it on a video camera, plug it into your computer and actually sort of physically upload it. Yeah. Um, and... Uh, so we sort of got the jump on that in a way, you know, and, and sort of helped find a little audience there. Ah, cool. All about the right place at the right time, especially with the internet. But just, yeah, it's so much competition these days. And nobody's, the attention spans fucking changed a lot as well. <laughs> yeah. It's hard to get people to listen to fucking a three minute song, far less, you know, an album. <laughs> no, I mean, but, but I mean, that, that's the thing I noticed with like my YouTube stats, even like around 2010 is when you looked at, you know, the sort of viewing uh, graph, uh, like you'd have this massive drop-off, like wow. in the last 30 seconds, even if the song was only three minutes long. Right. And you'd be like, but you haven't even stuck around for the punchline. Like, Aye. you know, the whole punchline of the video, me waking up and it was all a dream. You've uh, completely missed, you know, you've completely <laughs> missed that. But, yeah, people, I, I don't know whether it's kind of going the other way. And um, people do have more, um, more attention span for long-form stuff. I mean... You know, because podcasts are popular, aren't they? You know, and, and things like we're doing tonight, I think there there's an audience for more long-form stuff than that kind of short hit. Yeah, I think definitely podcasts are growing. A lot of people listen to them in their car or driving or going to work and that kind of thing, you know. Um, so that's the reason for them. But certainly I think when there are people in front of a computer or a mobile phone, it's a lot of tendency just to flick, you know. Yeah, and joylessly uh, scrolling through the timeline. Hi, hating your life again. <laughs> yeah, I don't spend much time engaging much on Facebook because you get nowhere. Um, so anyway, I try to sometimes educate people on certain things and 
nobody wants to listen. So that's why I do it my own thing here, and people are welcome to come and join the ship. And yes. that's that. So, aye, so then, obviously, you must have been getting some more hits and popularity on YouTube. When did you, did you start releasing singles or making the videos? Well, I think Mike Gibbons came along and helped you quite a lot. Yeah, so I, I met Mike. Mike came along at one of the gigs and, uh, yeah, just hit it off with him. And uh, he uh, he just started, um, you know, well, I, I, I didn't ask too much about why he had a video camera and had rudimentary editing skills, but, you know, I have my, <laughs> I have my suspicions. Um, but, um, yeah, so he, he sort of offered to make... Uh, Make a couple of videos for us. So we started off with the Use My Ass. I was a cunt one, right. and done a. We put a shout out on MySpace, um, and got a a little group of people there, you know, and sort of done done a video, sort of walking through Basel and culminating in this big <laughs> dance routine in the Civic Square. Right. And uh, oh, yeah. my my sister Lil was filming from the gantry uh, along by a pizza at like sort of up upper level down filming. Uh, down uh, us doing this dance routine and when we finished these two old ladies stood next to her and one just looked at the other one and went that's the biggest load of shit i've seen in my entire life (laughs) well that's good that's the direction you want from that audience (laughs) yeah exactly yeah yeah met your sister eh? so we can picture her behind the camera she came up to edinburgh and your sister didn't she yeah yeah she did a few years yeah i met her at cockgate i think Right, so yeah, so what happened then? So yeah, so yeah, we just we just carried on carried on making videos and um and uh made one for fuck sticks and then um I recorded another album and I was sort of recording recording albums, getting getting um at the start just getting like a hundred CDs burnt, selling right. them and then that would pay for another run of CDs and then right. got like five hundred done and then that paid for the next album. And just you know, basically, because I, I was working working part time and I was still doing a bit of DJing. So the money I got from you know doing the cunt and the gang stuff and, and flogging uh, CDs and merch, I just squirreled away, and that's that all paid for the next thing. And really, it's just sort of carried on, mm. carried on doing that. You know, just if, everything I do, you know, just pay, pay, it pays for the next thing, which is, is sort of good, really. Yeah, what's well, so Motorhead worked for thirty years? That was Lemmy's philosophy, you know. Album tour, basically album tour, and keep, yeah. keep the circle going. <laughs> yeah, so, yeah, and and you you need you need the fucking tours to flog the album, and like you know, t- towards the end, playing that amount of gigs and playing the same, you know, playing the same stuff, I think just kind of wore me wore me down, you know, towards the sort of mid two thousand and tens, and I was trying to cut the trying to cut the gigs down, trying to cut the tours down a bit. But every time you kind of jettisoned a couple of dates off of a tour, you know, they have this date of fucking tour of like 55 dates in a row and you just try and slim it down to 50. And then oh. you get five promoters going, oh, come on, cunt. You've got to come back to Swindon. Everyone's going to miss you. And you go, oh, f- fine. So I never, never slimmed the tours down. And ultimately it just, you know, just fucking wore, wore me down. Because I think really like, you know, looking back, when when I when I packed it in in 2016, I just needed a break. Right. Um, but I would never have I would never have took a break because you know the idea of um, the idea of turning work down. You know, when when you've always 
you know, when you've worked in shops and worked at fucking Calagas and right. money's money's hard to come by, Definitely. but you know, getting a couple of hundred quid to just right. get up in a in a shiny boiler suit uh, right. and sing songs for forty five minutes, you know, the idea of turning that down. So I felt like I just needed a sort of break from it, and then yes, yeah, as, as it turned out, I ended up just just packing it in, and then sort of within a year of being in real life. You know, and going back to painting and tiling and that, it's really right. fucking hard work. It's rubbish. Right, sure. um, yeah, <laughs> and then, yeah, and, and and in that time, I sort of wrote the book and then kind of ended up, uh, yeah, back where I am now. Okay, so you're managing to self-sustain yourself now without working. Yeah, mm-hmm. I mean, it, it sort of it sort of has done all the way through, apart from a period, yeah, you know, where, when I when I packed in packed in gigging because obviously it's the gigs. Gigs that bring in the money, but now because everything sort of changed in the last few years, because you've got Patreon, which is like a kind of subscription service, and people can um, support you like on a monthly monthly yeah. basis, you know, by like a fiver or a tenner, right. and you you know you sort of I've got low where I've got a big back catalogue of stuff. I'll dig out a uh, dig out you know some MP3s that I didn't release or or some footage from a video or or give them an insight into what I'm currently working on and sort of try and do that on a weekly basis. And so that money that comes in from the Patreon sort of keeps things ticking over. And it means that, you know, you can basically like, you know, things like the, the Shannon Matthews musical that we just put on in Edinburgh without the Patreon kind of coming in every month, that would never have happened because I wouldn't have had the time, you know, to financially, um, dedicate towards making that happen you know and that that's what the patreon's been good for is to just do things then then flight of fancy things and 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 similarly probably you know the the boris johnson campaigns and stuff have all, all been helped by the patreon because they just give you the time to be able to do things properly when i'd have been spending a couple of days a week you know out painting and decorating and just wouldn't have had the time to kind of do do them things properly Yep, that's what I've been trying to build an audience myself through various things. Even membership to this site, I was charging now it's free. It's just, I don't know, it's hard to get people to come over and pay and support you. And I think people should do that a lot more, especially if they're watching their content and enjoying it, you know. But I guess everything, there's a lot of free stuff out there. So you've got yourself in a good position for that. Well done. I'm in, in a factory. I can only do three days a week now. And it's, it's fucking hard work. You're knackered. By the time you come home, you can't be bored doing anything. The next day, you need a lion and shit, you know. So it yeah. does take your energy, and it's not good for your mental state being there, you know, and dealing with normal people. <laughs> no, so. like every, every job I've ever had, there was someone who I would quite happily fucking murder if I thought I could get away <laughs> with it. That's the worst thing about work because fucking cunts around you. <laughs> yeah. And uh, I, they're fucking. Some of them, I just wonder what goes on a lot of people's heads, you know, just how they see the world that way. But I guess who are we to judge? No, uh, no, but you've just got to let. You, sometimes you just, you know, you, you can't, you, you can't fucking battle ev- every day. Sometimes you just got to let people get on with things because, <laughs> I mean, it's, it's seen as the most massive weakness in our society, changing your mind. Um, um, and the idea that you're going to change someone's mind about something because, you know, it's a massive climb down for people to change their mind. Even if you know they're massively fucking wrong about something, you're better off just letting them get on with it sometimes because you can't, you're just beating your head against a fucking brick wall a lot of the time. 
basically. I tried to do that when I first started doing comedy because I watched Bill Hicks and I thought, right, I was trying to be a rock star and say something, but I wasn't good enough to do that. So I thought, I, I should have kept practicing the guitar, but I put it down and said, right, I'll do comedy. And I started trying to start a revolution. There wasn't many jokes involved. I just wanted people to fucking join this revolution. And I found that what you fight, you be- you become, you know, because I was turning into a fascist dictator. There wasn't a lot of jokes going on, but <laughs> <laughs> eventually learned that, again, that wasn't working. I mean, they was trying to make it funny, but it's hard to make serious shit funny, you know? And I th- then I went into Billy Conley telling funny stories and stuff. And obviously, if you're going to do comedy, that's a much better way to get people on your side, you know, relatable stories and things like that, rather than kind of pointing to them a lot and wagging your finger. <laughs> now, because people people don't want to be bombarded with someone else's point point of view, do they? Not necessarily, no. No, no I mean, <laughs> I, I fucking don't, you know. It depends on the venue. Again, it's if the night's set up for that, you know, then people are there for, for it, so there's a time and a place for it, but not on a fucking Saturday night when they're just out to forget their week at work, you know, and I'm going on about 9-11 or something like that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, anyways, I did, when you did pack in 2016, I was a little bit sad to hear that, but I did see you doing a lot of gigs before then, and then the book came out, so I never got, I was living in Turkey, <clears throat> I was really mega struggling for money, but I never got the book. What's the story of the book? Um, so, is it written in comedy form or is it a straight biography or what's the deal? It's sort of a, a, a bit of both, really. Like it's it's a comedy biography. So right. it, it was, yeah, probably like towards the end of the gigging, I'd started writing, um, writing down because you know, as you know from the Cockgate year, where you're there all the time in the middle of things ridiculous fucking things happen that don't normally happen, you know, because if you're, if you're a proper singer, you know, or or a proper musician, you, you turn up at your gig, you get put in a backstage room, fed, watered, you go out on stage, you do your thing, and then you get whisked off somewhere, you know, and you don't meet any of the people. And all the gigs I was doing, I would turn up and there'd already be people there lurking around. All right, cunt, all right, cunt. And you'd do banter from the minute you fucking entered the place at uh-huh. half past six until, like, you'd shaken the last couple of zombies off your leg at fucking half past 12, you know, and managed to get in your car and lock the door. Um, <laughs> but that's not a normal... It's not really a normal job, is right. it, you know? So, yeah, lots of lots of things happened, you know, in them times gigging. And all so right. I just wanted to write them all down, you know, just to remember them for myself because I thought it'd be a shame because a lot of the times it was only me... Me saw these things, you know, right. and so I want to write them down just before they all disappear off into the ether and make them, you know, make them into some, yeah, some kind of memoir. And then, yeah. um, so as it was, yeah, I just, I just sort of wrote it like an autobiography and made a, t- you know, made a timeline of my life from from being born up until finishing the last gig and just kind of went through all the sort of things that had happened and put them on a timeline and then joined them all together and. um yeah, I mean, I, I was really, really, really fucking happy with it. But by the time I'd written it, I'd completely run out of money and I was on the bones of my arse because mm-hmm. I, I hadn't been gigging. I'd still been doing some painting and decorating for me mate. But where I was trying to write the book and do it, you know, just do that a couple of days a week, it were, you know, there was more going out than was coming in. And so the pot of money I had from my last tour just dwindled and dwindled and dwindled down to fuck all. <laughs> and so um, <laughs> I was sort of forced into doing the Kickstarter, really. And up until that point, I'd always thought, well, Kickstarters really are for projects that aren't commercially viable. Um, yeah. You know, and 
me doing a Kickstarter completely changed my mind about it in that Kickstarters are a way of people funding, you know, everyone fucking knows this anyway, so I'm only telling people what they know, but Kickstarters are a way of making things happen that people want to happen that wouldn't otherwise happen um, is is the positive way to look at it, you know. And, uh, I mean, the Kickstarter was mind-blowingly fucking excellent in that it made me realise how much people had missed Cunt and the gang and, you know, and and what it meant to people. And, And I started to hear lots of stories, you know, like a couple from Edinburgh who'd sort of met at a cunt in the gang gig and then ended up getting married and had a poster of the gig where they met above their fireplace. And okay. like just lots of people that, you know, that it had gotten through hard times and, you know, and, and just lots of really nice, really nice stories and what it had meant to groups of people and how it had connected them with their friends who'd gone away to university and, and all these kind of things. And um, then you think, fucking hell, what a fucking wanker I was for thinking I could just knock it on the edge, you know. And and it was also writing the book as well and reminding myself of all the fucking mental things that, <laughs> you know, yeah, just wouldn't have happened in any other situation. Um, so, yeah, I did the book, did the Kickstarter. Um, I think one of the one of the stretch goals was to do an audio book. So we done done an audio book, um, just, you know, recorded it up here, put a big blanket around, around a, the section of my shed and, and sort uh-huh. of recorded it in a, in a duvet to cut cut uh-huh. all the planes and noise out, uh-huh. um, and uh, and then yeah, from from that the the other stretch goal was the punk album, and then yeah, and and that sort of led us to where where we are now. So for the punk album, then you had this one, Boris Johnson as a cunt, and it it was literally um, we had the album all sorted, and then I'd sort of. Um, I'd got the got got a band together with my old mate um, Joe would come and play guitar, and uh, my mate Fucksticks who come and play drums, and then uh, another bass player called Skidmark who uh, recorded the first album with us, and then uh, he left, and uh, my drummer's brother, Rubber Johnny, joined, and so that's <laughs> and that's been the bad band since then. But we recorded recorded the first album, and it was just. Um, just before the first lockdown, and we were trying to mix it just as it was clear the lockdown was going to happen, um, right. and and um, it just didn't it didn't get finished. And so I took the tracks away from the studio, and I got Mike to mix them because Mike uh, Mike's done sort of recording and stuff in the past, you know, with bands. Um, so I handed the tracks over to Mike to mix just to get an outside pair of ears on them. And while he was doing that, it had been nagging at me that I had this song called If You Don't Like This Song, You're a Fucking Cunt that I've never, you know, hadn't done anything with for in the 10 years since I released it. And so I was going to re-record that as Donald Trump is a fucking cunt. And then, obviously, <coughs> Boris Johnson, it started to become evident <laughs> what, a, you know, the, the size of the fucking cunt that the man was. And <laughs> even <know>. though <laughs> I didn't feel like it scanned as well as Donald Trump is a fucking cunt, uh-huh. but... But yeah, I mean, it, it was just complete luck, really, that Boris Johnson was such a fucking cunt at that <laughs> time that we we recorded that one remotely, and then I handed it over to Mike, and he mixed it with all the other ones, right. um, and so that was like the latest, you know, like the last song to go on the album. But by a complete quirk of fate, it, it did, and then um, yeah, we, weirdly, like was it sort of six months or 
six months or so after the album had been out, um, Ginger from the Wild Arts um, tweeted a link to the song on Spotify and just put Christmas number one, question mark. And then none of us had thought about that, you know, uh, at all. And then um, Charlie Brooker tweeted it as well. And you're like, actually, you know, and that was like at the end of of October. You're like, well, actually, why, why not just fucking... Have a go, you know what you got. What you got to lose, and so we decided just to try and push it for Christmas number one. And um, I'd done two two sort of chart pushes, like back in the day, like two thousand and ten. I did try to get used my ass. I was a cunt in the top forty, and it got a number sixty six. And then the year after that, to coincide with the wedding of William and Kate, I did a royal wedding version of Fuck Sticks that went Fuck Sticks Queen Mother's Cunt, and um, that got a number sixty three. And it's really yeah, I, fucking, you know, it's really fucking hard to get in the top 40. And it's even harder since then because then it was purely on sales and now it's a mixture of sales and streams. And you're up against all the, you know, all the big record right. companies who've got millions of fucking pounds, spend hundreds of thousands of pounds on their recording budget and their marketing budget, right. you know, and send, pe- send people in to pay off the people in radio and, you right. know, and, and, and people are on the fucking one show and that. And you're up against all those. Yeah. And also being Christmas... You're up against Mariah Carey and Wham and Jonah Louie, you know, and all the fucking perennial Christmas hits, Shaking Stevens, Slag. Uh-huh. You're up against all them wizards, uh-huh. you know, who get who get rotated on radio and rotated on people's, you know, these pre-planned fucking Spotify playlists. I've worked on a food factory in the six weeks prior to the fucking Christmas. All you get is those about eight songs on repeat all day, every day. You hear the same song fucking Chicken Stevens and that five times a day as well as the other ones five times a day. It's fucking drives you mental. When, when, when I used to work in Burton's, they'd have the, you know, the Christmas tape would come in at the end of October and it would be there until the end of January. So right. you would spend literally fucking three months listening to the same 12 songs. Well, that's that, you know that Pretenders one? It must right. be it Christmas time. I just want to – it just made me want to just stove her head in. Right. Like, just hearing it, you know, like 40 fucking times a day, it's, it's enough yeah. to drive you fucking mental. Well, I used to like that Pogue song, you know, uh, Fairy Tale New York, but fucking that was another one that just been ruined by fucking overplay as well. It's like, ah. <laughs> yeah, it does. It just ru- it ruins all the Christmas songs for you. Aye. I could still get into them if you hadn't heard them Christmas, you know, one day a year. You know, I hate all the bullshit, but in theory, the day itself can be a nice day, but they just kill it with fucking starting it way too early, you know, the bullshit commercialization, etc. So then you had another goal, did, um, Christmas number one. The Boris Johnson one, what did that one get to? 63 or was that the one before? No, the Boris, so the oh, Boris no. Johnson is a, Boris Johnson <laughs> is a fucking cunt, got to number right. five. Number five, right, that's right, yeah. Um, and, uh, Which is a good stab at it, fucking for, for Christmas. Well, I mean, you know, like for, something, for something with no, you know, no record company, no marketing it. company, no marketing budget, the whole thing costs 10 quid. Which is what I gave, I gave Mike a hundred quid for mixing the album, and so that was like pro rata tenor a track. So literally, the whole thing cost ten quid in total. And how many sales did you get? Um, Forty-five thousand. Wow, that's great. So, I mean, that's like with that's with the streams factored in, but it got like so you like, about three quid. <laughs> yeah, well, it got six or seven million streams. Yeah, but you're right about three and a half quid. Um, but yeah, like six six or seven million streams and and forty-five thousand and something sales. And it was only like it was a couple of thousand behind Wham and Mariah Carey. So in another in another world, it could have been number three, but it would never, you know, because you're up against that sausage roll cunt, 
um, <laughs> doing his uh, doing his charity song. Like you're yeah. never gonna, you know, you just can't fucking compete with people that are on the one show, you know. Aye. But um, yeah, congratulations for that. That was a good effort. Oh, I mean, yeah, it was, you know, and also I've been sort of doing this, you know, nearly twenty years and uh-huh. making music for, you know, thirty five years, and the idea that I'd have ended up. Uh, you know, <laughs> in, in the charts. Not that the charts actually fucking mean anything anymore, but fucking hell, like, uh, yeah, it just it, it just goes to show if you believe in something, you just got to fucking keep plugging away, like, because the only other option is you, you give up, isn't it? Yeah, but actually, we, we doubt our own power sometimes. You know, we do have a lot of power to create and make things happen. You know, you had a, somebody put that idea in your head, and you went out and you took that idea and you ran with it. And you, that's what made it a reality. If you never believed in it and made that vision come true, you know, everyone's got that power. People don't realise that when they're working their shitty jobs, you know. So you should dream more and think about things more and try shit, you know. And then it fails and try again, you know. People take failure as that's the end or failed, it's never going to happen. But, you know, you can have a life of failures, but you've had an interest in life rather than just watching Coronation Street, you know. But I read... Um, read uh biography of the KLF and you realise like in between all their you know all the massive things that you hear about you know they had things that didn't come off they tried them and they didn't really work and they just moved on didn't get dispirited by it I mean you know and, and you just move move on to the next thing and I, I had a mate who sort of you know was a real fucking cynical cunt and sort of said to me one time when you know when I was sort of in my we were both in our sort of early 30s he went well at least I haven't tried to be a musician and failed. Hey, fuck off. <laughs> no, exactly. I, I, just, I just literally fucked him off. But I said to him, well, I haven't failed because I haven't given up yet. Exactly, yeah. And, you know, and... But he's not finished. He's just plugging, plugging away at things. And there'll always, be, there'll always be people who want you to fail, but they want you to fail because of something that's deficient in them, you know, and, uh, and it's just, yeah. So just got to fucking keep doing your own thing. Basically, I've got a lot of haters out there, naysayers, whatever, but you've just, instead of trying to compete and want to be in their world and succeed in their world, you have to create your own opportunities and, you know, make shit happen. So, yeah, it's just, I think everyone's got a kind of path that they can follow, but you have to kind of wake up to that and then it kind of reveals itself as you start walking. But uh, you have to have that twinkling to begin with that life doesn't have to be humdrum, you know. Too many yeah. people settle for ordinary, and cutting the gang certainly ordinary. In amongst all this time, though, we've kind of skipped the past. Um, let's go into the second Christmas number one, and then we'll come back to the Shannon Matthews thing, which he made the album in two thousand and ten. Was it? Yeah. Uh, so, but the, so you've done the got to number five, and then that was your first attempt at Christmas number one. Yeah. So that was well, that was in twenty twenty while we were all locked down, aye. and then um, yeah, in in. 2021 Christmas was kind of coming around again and because of the thing the previous year people started saying well what are you going to do this year <laughs> and you know I mean it just presented itself quite easily that Boris Johnson was still there and <laughs> you know ultimately you know we'd, we'd done this song and put loads of effort into it and it got to number five and it don't it don't actually you don't see a great big change just through doing one thing and you know I, I remember someone saying about like if you want to fell a big tree you're not going to fell it with one swing of an axe you have to just okay. keep chipping away at it okay, and so yeah. we just thought oh fuck it you know 
he's still yeah. a cunt. So <laughs> we'll just we'll just do a song called Boris Johnson. He's still a fucking cunt. <laughs> and um, because I've been reading reading a lot about the KLF, I went back to KLF wrote a book um, after they that because they had a number one. Uh, under the name of the Time Lords called Doctor in the TARDIS. It was like a kind of mashup of Gary Glitter's rock and roll and the oh. Doctor Who theme. Oh. And uh, they, they wrote this book, um, The Manual, How to Have a Number One the Easy Way, which, you know, it's like a fucking Bible if you want to go and have a bash at the charts. You know, and a lot of things have changed since then. But I've always, you know, always loved the book and always loved the KLF. So went back to the manual and um, we tried to do what they'd done, you know, basically create a, a Frankenstein's monster of a track. So we, we we used Gary Glitter's rock and roll like they had um, <laughs> for, for the song and mashed it up a bit with a couple of bits of, of of other songs and then just put the put the Boris Johnson still a fucking cunt over the top and, <laughs> and that and, and that was it and yeah and just set about doing exactly what we'd done the year before and the the second year of doing it. <laughs> It was actually harder than the first because the press just wouldn't write, you know, they wouldn't write about it. And I get why, because it's a song with the phrase fucking cunt in the title. <laughs> the majority of the press is, you know, massively fucking right wing and Tory donors and supporters. So <laughs> they don't want, you know, the way the tabloids work is they don't want to upset their readers' cosy worldview. They just want to drip feed them the fucking hatred and shit every fucking day whilst putting a cosy arm around their shoulder and reinforcing what they think. And something that's as subversive as calling the prime minister a fucking cunt. They just don't want people to find out about it unless they absolutely have to. And yeah. as it worked out, because we pushed so hard, you know, and, and, you know, people, uh, people on the socials just fucking shared and shared and shared it. So there was this uh-huh. massive groundswell of support because largely people, you know, all the people that thought he was a fucking cunt the year before still <laughs> thought he was a fucking cunt. And I was even getting messages on, on my Facebook from people saying, cunt, I've got to say, last year I didn't think he was a fucking cunt, but now I totally <laughs> agree with you. So in that year, you know, obviously, like, he prorogued Parliament and, all you know, all the fucking things he's done. I don't need to go over all the things he did. But, you know, people were aware that he, he was still a oh. fucking cunt. So, yeah, and, and then that ended up at number five again, which... <laughs> Was more of a more of an achievement than the previous year because things were so against us, you know, and and so set against us succeeding with it. Yeah, definitely. And should we let the bag the cow the bag about we are doing these days, or is that under wraps? No, I, I, I don't mind. So Aye. yeah, You're so, on one for this year. Well, yeah, because it because it's another it's another Christmas. Um, like sadly for us, Boris Johnson isn't still there. Um, no. <laughs> have to change. Liz, I mean, Liz, you, you know, fucking hell, what a what a mess, what a mess the, the 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 country's in. So, yeah, we we're gonna prob- probably. I'm just sort of demoing it at the moment, but we're probably doing a song called "Fuck the Tories." But the um, the Owen Tories is going to be asterisked out while while the fuck is going to be fully on view. All right, okay, that's a good one. I, to me, I don't differentiate between any of the politicians. To me, they're all fucking cunts. You can, yeah, but do you know what? But that gives it gives people an easy get out, um, saying that they're all fucking cunts because, you know, I do I do largely agree with what you're saying, you know, and and the system 
needs to change so that we can't get trapped in fucking Fritzl's basement with a Conservative government, you know, or, or a Labour government for that long fucking period of time. And, like, people being proportionally represented just seems to be, like, a much fairer way of uh, of doing things. But at, at the time being, you know, for, for the time being, I think right now we just need to get these cunts out, What whatever it fucking takes to get them out, because... No one's going to be any less fair than them. No, you know, no one's going to be any. Uh, no. You know, they, they've been they've been unfair. They've been artless. They've been corrupt. And and you know, they just fucking lie to you. They don't tell. They don't tell you the truth. They don't tell you their true intentions. Um, Definitely not. That's the last thing they want to be doing. <laughs> so you know exactly, but. You know, we just need them fucking gone and just need to give someone else a chance. And in that time, then open a fucking dialogue about changing the system so that we never end up in this position again. But I don't have any faith that that will happen because Keir Starmer will get in. And like Blair, when he got in, people hold on to power. And no no one wants to change the system once they're in because his turkeys voting for Christmas. Basically. Aye. The whole shit show, which would take another 10 hours delving into if we... So desired, but let's get back to what I was going to say. You had, did you have any songs about the Queen or anything? You know, you've been quite vocal on the Queen. I quite like your irreverent posts on Twitter and stuff and calling out the royal family and Andrew being a nonce. You had something to do with that as well. You had some kind of meeting somewhere, did you not? Everyone was wearing a mask. So that was, um, we did a song called Prince Andrew's a Sweaty Nonce to coincide uh, with the Jubilee, right? <laughs> that was the uh, one. <laughs> and um as a because what happens with these chart campaigns is because um I've got a small sort of support base who you know are very loyal very enthusiastic on the first day you'll kind of get a rush up the you'll get a rush up the charts but it's very hard like to sustain that over the period of the week so as that week goes on and because you know as you know social media is set up to stop people that like what you see, uh, seeing your content, unless you pay them for the privilege. Right. So, um, uh, yeah, so so what what uh, the plan was to do was in the middle of the week to do a publicity stunt to kind of increase the social media reach and get us out to lots of people that might otherwise have not heard about it. So right. we had these Prince Andrew masks printed, and I just put a shout out um, that we were going to assemble at Pizza Express in Woking. Um, uh, and um, uh, do a yeah, have a have a little sing song and have some photos. So we did that, and there was maybe twenty five or thirty of us at Pizza Express in Woking. We put the masks on and sung the song and filmed it and stuff, and it was all a good laugh. And then uh, a few of them went off to watch the football, and a few cleared off. And then there was a hardcore dozen of us got the train into London right. uh, <laughs> and went to the Palace, which was all like called and off, ready for the Jubilee. Um, right. But we we got a little vantage point and set up and we sung Prince Andrew's a sweaty nonce in front of the palace. But there was only one security bloke there who come over and wanted to stop us and then realised there was 12 of us and right. sort of ran <laughs> off to get his mates. And in that time, we finished what we were doing and someone was filming it and, like, all of a sudden, like, this, the crowd that were all looking at the palace all just looked at these 12 Prince Andrews singing about him being a sweaty nonce. Brilliant. And... Um, <laughs> So when I got home, um, just put that bit of footage up onto TikTok. And I have no fucking, I'm too old 
to know how TikTok fucking works. I have no idea. But I put that bit of footage up onto my TikTok and it just went whoosh. And <laughs> within um was it within like 48 hours, it had had like over a million views, which, oh. you know, is my previous most viewed uh, video was the Jimmy Savile and the Sexy Kids song on uh-huh. YouTube before it got taken down. Uh-huh. And that got 650,000 views over 10 years. So the right. idea of getting like, you know, it got one, yeah, 1. 1.3 million views in two days, which, well. you know, just massively fucking helped, helped the song because, again, because the song was called Prince Andrew's A Sweaty Nonce and it was at right. the time of the Jubilee when right. everyone was meant to be toadying and flag shagging, none of the <laughs> press would, would cover it. Right. That's you awesome. Know, as, as, you, as you'd expect. But, um, but yeah, it, it meant that it got the song out to lots more people. And then that ended up, that got number 20 uh, at the end of the week, which, you know, like for a, for a band with no right. no people other than us working it, you know, is, was, was fucking amazing. And also it just gave lots of people who, you know, like me, hate all the fucking pomp and pageantry and bollocks that fucking, you know, and, right. you know, the, the idea you're fucking ferrying crowns around in Rolls Royces while people are using food banks. I just don't understand why we're not just kicking the fucking gates in, dragging them all out into the streets and, you know, and just fucking getting rid of them because why have they got all this fucking money when people are poor? Like, in this day, in this fucking day and age, it's obscene. It's mental. It's absolutely crazy. And then they get these boxing matches and they're singing God Save the King at it now, you know, and fucking... The song "God Save the King" and we're we're loyal to the sub your, your loyal subjects and all this shit. I'm like, what the fuck is inside people's head? But actually, I noticed that we at the end of this one and Saturday night there, they sung it, but absolutely nobody clapped at the end of it. <laughs> I don't think King Charles is really setting people's imaginations on fire with though. This is going to be good, you know. <laughs> I don't. I, I think they're not clapping as a mark of respect because he wouldn't be able to clap with his big sore fingers. So <laughs> I don't want him to feel left out. <laughs> Uh, it's a bit of a shit show. Uh, what was I going to say there? Have you seen his fingers? Yeah, yeah, I've seen the picture of that. It was fucking crazy. They're all all, can you imagine them just cramming them into Camilla's <laughs> dusty old cunt? <laughs> oh, having Camilla. I mean, again, that was something back in the day. Camilla was very, you know, she they were in wedlock and they had an affair and they weren't supposed to do that, you know, and it was all, now they're just together and that's it. She's the fucking king's wife, accept it, you know. Just how morals and things can all of a sudden change, you know, just by the media and telling people it's new now, new things are happening now. People, all right. <laughs> no, it's, I, it's mental times, isn't it? Aye. Oh, you said something there. I was going to say something about, it, but I can't remember. So uh, when you get that image of Prince Charles's big fucking <laughs> swollen right, sausage aye. fingers going <laughs> in and out that dusty old family, it does throw you a bit. <laughs> <laughs> Not my usual uh, talk from some of my guests I've had on. <laughs> uh, so I so anyway, that's the Queen and that dealt with the royal family. It all sucks. Um, what's the latest then? You've got this Shannon Matthews. How did that become about? Did somebody approach you? Obviously, it tells us that first of all, brilliant idea to use the Shannon Matthews stories as a fucking musical comedy because I just actually I never I'd listened to your CD when I bought it years ago from the festival uh, but I didn't actually get it as much as I did recently because I watched the documentary about it so now I've got all the gist of it when I listen to it again you've actually nailed quite a lot of things on the head so did you just watch a documentary or did you do a little bit more research and it will give you an idea for the Shannon Matthews thing 
no, it's funny I, in itself when you just watch her telling the lies and the whole shit show that unfolded, yeah. you know. I, I mean that 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 was the, that was the thing. He's like, I I have this morbid curiosity of of, of, of fucking wrongans, you know, <laughs> um, and. Yeah, I mean that story is just so fucking. It's just so fucking bizarre. The whole thing yeah. is just so fucking bizarre that you know once it kind of all, all come out, I just kept thinking, you know, just kept thinking of ideas for it. And I played up in Edinburgh with a band called Arse to Mouth, who'd had this. They had this song called "Billy Ain't Dead," is in my shed, and I just kept that song kept going round in my head as Shannon Ain't Dead, she's under my bed, and I think that was the first thing that made me think. There's there's some there's something in this, you know. Um and then um I'd heard that she had the Karen Matthews had um seven kids by five different dads. Uh-huh. And the song Different Dads, they've all got different dads, uh-huh. pops pops into my head. And the more I kind of thought about it, I've got a plan based on Maddie McCann. The songs uh-huh. just kept coming. And so I ended up with like, you know, just like loads of scraps of paper. And uh-huh. I was just like, I'm not gonna write a musical because it's it's never going to get put on. It's not going to make me any money, and it's going to take about fucking six months of my life to do it, do it justice. And 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 when I've written it, what am I going to do? How am I going to you know do anything with it? But as it turned out, I met um uh, this guy John in Huddersfield who was in a band who I'd played with, and he his missus agreed to play Karen, and he got the other guy to play Di Ragit, the inspector who's like the narrator. And then the other guy to play Donovan, they were all mates of his. And so he put the cast together for us. And I just yeah. took my computer up and we recorded it in his kitchen. And oh, yeah. uh, and then, you know, I sort of brought it back to Essex and mixed it all there and put it out. The voices are very good as well. The, the, again, the voices are excellent. The I mean, they're, they're brilliant, aren't they? But, but um, he's, he's, so his missus had been a drama student, but, right. but you know, and, and she sort of like worked backstage at a theatre and he, He'd been in bands and um, the other, the guy who was the narrator, he'd been in bands. And then the other guy was just an insurance salesman who like, was like literally the last person he asked to do it. I mean, yeah, I'll do it. So, so like, you, is it all very scripted? Like, and you had the idea of her accent and or was there any working that they'd done or did you give it to them? This is exactly what you need to say. I, I'd, I'd written, I'd written all the scripts and written all the songs and, oh. um, and so they they had the script for a while and kind of practiced it on their right. own. Right. And um and then I turned up there on a Friday evening and we were going to spend the Saturday and the Sunday um, recording. So the Friday evening we all had pizza and just right. had a read through of it. And there right. were a few bits where they said someone from Yorkshire wouldn't say that. Right. Um, and so we just we changed a few you know just a few words and a couple of phrases or putting you know putting the odd word here and there. But it right. wasn't. It wasn't much. It was pretty much there. But I, right. I did. That's probably the thing that I've spent the most time on out of everything I've ever done um, right. in terms of research and just because the more you read about Karen Matthews, the more material you got. So it wasn't in your. It wasn't in your interest to skip over stuff and skimp on the research because the more you read. You know, you'd find out all this other stuff that she she'd fucking done. Well, it was good to be you, like uh, for the 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 guy. Was it Paul? I think the one that she was living with. Who? Oh, Craig. Craig Mia. Yeah, great guy. Uh, did, did he think he was father of that child? Because it was the child was from someone else. But in the in your song, you kind of allude to the fact that she's not telling them it's not his. No, I, yeah. 
That's think, artistic I, license. I think with that one, I think that might have been artistic license. But, I just um, wonder, but still, still, because that's the timeline though, because she's have pregnant well, living with him with somebody else's kid, and then the kid comes yeah. along. Yeah, I mean that, yeah. that's that's yeah. I, I think that might have been artistic license, and you know, of course, if you're writing a fictional version of something, right. you can be playful I, with it. I mean, you know, I don't know whether Karen Matthews was obsessed <laughs> with Ben Shepherd from GM to. <laughs> And would think about him trying to get a sneaky look at a minge. I don't know. It's, it's pure Aye. speculation. But, but yeah, it was more about you know going back to her motivation for doing what she did and just basing that. That the whole thing was sort of based around the ridiculousness of her thinking. A, it was going to make her rich, and you know, and like like well, the that bit thing where, as well. You know, obviously the way you do it, you set it up for she's planned that. But if you actually watch it. I'm not sure that was her idea because apparently the story was she was going to go to the other guy's house and then take the kids there. But again, that could be one of her stories. I don't think she was necessarily thinking, kill, call, him, phone the police, and collect the money. Oh no, no, I'm I'm not sure it was. I'm not sure it was as uh, as cut and dried, cut and dried no. as all that. But it it was more it was more about taking you know taking Karen Matthews, who was clearly the central character in everything because right. of how much she enjoyed the media interest. And, you know, like her, her saying, um, saying uh, when Shannon's on the news, uh, look, Shannon's famous. Right. And, you know. Uh, yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's really well done. I love the line when Karen keeps going, you know, because you see her doing the media, it's just like, I just want her back home safe and sound, you know. It's like she's not like out of her mind with worry or you know is my kid gonna die where is she? But kind of something not right about it. And the way you keep on repeating, I just want to back save and sound you know, it's... my beautiful princess. <laughs> uh, yeah, <laughs> but yeah, you, you capture it. And I've seen a few clips of the fact of the show. We'll talk about it in a minute. But the actress that plays Karen actually is quite looks like the other guy as well. They do actually look like these people a bit. Yeah, I mean, they, in, in real in real life, they don't they don't so much. But you know, obviously, like yeah, done well. But I mean, yeah, I mean the the actress who played Karen was just. I mean, the the Edinburgh show wouldn't have happened without, uh, you know, without her because I think it takes a real unique skill set to to pull all that off. You know, not just not just the singing, but the the larger than lifeness of <laughs> of Karen Matthews. You know. Um, and really, like it's like she's she's like David Brent, or she's like Rigsby, or Basil Fawlty, like the central character who's massively fucking delusional, and uh, and you know he's really just an utter cunt, um, just surrounded <laughs> by these weak-minded, feeble idiots, you know, who who get caught up and embroiled in her, her schemes. So. You released the album, and then was that just going to sit there and nothing happened? Did somebody contact you about doing this musical at the festival? How did so, that come about? So I released the album in 2010, and it sat there for, yeah, sat there till 2021, and yeah. I sold maybe seven or 800 copies of it, which, you oh. know, it paid for the pressing, but it didn't really, you know, when you on on balance of things, didn't really make much money. Um, yeah. uh, and pro- probably I reckon probably half of those copies went back to Yorkshire, it's amazing that how many, you know, every time a sale comes for it's like fucking hell, another one for Yorkshire. But you know, it's a massive Yorkshire story, isn't it? You know, and so I think people totally, actually do it. 
it's unbelievable how much they all got behind the whole thing and then just to be found out they were getting taken for a ride and she's she's in the middle of this letting all these people send money and gifts and all the rest of it and on the news knowing all the time their daughter's in that guy's flat. <laughs> but, but I think but I think that's why there's so much anger about it. It's the it's the betrayal and you know and people don't like knowing they've been fooled and and that's why people are so angry about Brexit still because people don't want to admit that they were taken for a ride by a cunt. Um, <laughs> and and like that's for, for me is that's what all the anger surrounding Brexit is is because no one wants to look silly, do they? You know, and and so we got taken in. But at some point, you do uh, have to admit to yourself. Yeah. Well, I just remembered that thing I was going to say earlier. Basically, you were talking about the press not being honest. So I went to see Beth Gibbons the other night. No, Beth Orton the other night, and uh, she was started, She mentioned COVID, and then I said I was in the front row, right in front of her. And I just went to her, ain't no COVID. And then she said something, I said, oh, you, you had COVID. And she thought I had it. I said, no, no, ain't no COVID. And she went, exactly. The whole thing's a fucking scam. I'm glad we're all on the same page. So that's what she says. And then the Scotsman, a couple of days later, is reviewing the gig. And she says, oh, one of the hecklers shouts out to Beth, nice shoes, you know. I think the comment, my heckle and her reaction is a bit more noseworthy, no, newsworthy than fucking, you know, this other heckler saying or commenter, nice, nice shoes for the audience. You know, it just shows you the deceit and what they want to talk about, and what they don't want to talk about. Yeah, you know. So I and what we're we talking about there. <laughs> I forgot about that, the thing we're talking about now. Yeah. So, <laughs> so uh, Sam, who played Karen, got in touch with me in in the middle of the pandemic when everyone was locked down, saying if you ever need a couple of girls in one of your videos, and just got chatting. Uh, with her and, and uh, you know, discovered that uh, she, uh, yeah, she, she said, um, are the rights available for Shannon Matthews the musical? All right, okay. And so, so idea, said, well, yeah, of course, the rights are available because no cunt wants to put it on. Uh-huh. Um, and so she said, like, she'd like to take it up to Edinburgh and had a couple of people in mind for the parts and then audition the others. And yeah, and and you know, a year, a year later, it happened. Hi. And there's quite a f- bit of an outrage from some MPs when you, when this was announced that you were taking it to. I mean, it, it, it was basically you know like the the local Yorkshire Yorkshire Live just shit stirring really. Right. <laughs> they went to the residents of the Jewsbury Moor Estate and showed them like showed them some lyrics from "Can't Work, Won't Work," and then <laughs> just went to you know went no one no one who'd actually heard it or or, or yeah or, or understood what the musical was commented on it they just got like a knee-jerk reaction from local councillors and the mp which is fucking great because it means you can put like disgusting and (laughs) this evil act and all this kind of thing you know in very poor taste um (laughs) local mp you know it's it's great for business isn't it but um but yeah no one it was just it was just shit stirring by the local paper really Aye, so you, they've took it up there. And were you involved in it? I was actually pissed off because I never had much money during the festival. And the last few days of the festival, Thursday, Friday, I was through there and I was trying to look for gigs and stuff like that. And then I'd forgotten about your show being on and I went back through on a Sunday. I was like, Sunday? Oh, yeah, Shannon Matthews. And I went to look for it, but it finished on a Saturday night. Yeah. So I missed it. Um, how did it get received? What was it like? I mean, I, I don't think it could have gone any better th- than it went really like the the um uh 
First of all, was all the did the change? Did you add any text in the musical to the, what was on the CD, or was it pretty much the same? Um, I, I, I done. I, I had a little tinker with it, but it wasn't. It wasn't much. It's just there, there was a court. There's a court scene at the end that had two songs. Um, Karen singing. It was nothing to do with me. And then Michael singing Shannon, Shannon, living in my flat. Um, because it was done on a CD, you were able to have the people singing them as solo songs. But when you actually put it on a stage, everyone else has got fuck all to do. <laughs> so yeah. I, I turned them two songs into a medley and that way it kind of went back and back and forth. But that was the main bit of surgery I'd done to yeah. it, really. Cool. But, um, yeah, and most of it sort of held up pretty well from you know from from what it was on the cd and, oh. and you know and and it was fucking great just to see it you know see right. see audiences enjoying it which is obviously what you want if you write something you want to see audiences being able to make their own mind up about it. and not everyone yeah. liked it but then that's that's the fringe but on on balance of things it just had a really good like a real feel good factor and people come back and see it two and three times and and um the audience is sort of built um Weekends all sold out, and the weeknights were pretty decent as well. Which lots of people were saying that you know there was loads of empty rooms at the fringe this year, and audiences were down by a quarter. And so mm. you know, in, in terms of things, it it went really well, and and didn't lose any money. Like which putting a show on with eight you know eight people um, mm. for for a month, That's and not losing any money <laughs> at the fringe is a fucking unbelievable raven success. Yeah. I'm just- <laughs> I'm going to share the link. You've got a Kickstarter uh, going on because you wanted to make a movie of it now. What came of the idea for that? Because because of the success of the 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 thing, you didn't want to end, and you want to kind of make it and cellulite for everyone to to watch it. But, but yeah, <laughs> yeah if, it, if it was Karen Matthews, it would be made in cellulite. Um, <laughs> it's a uh, yeah. It's basically yeah. Um, the the fringe was just yeah. They just didn't want didn't want the fringe run to end. Right. It, um, and also, you got all that work getting a cast of people who are yeah. brilliant in their roles, know all the words, know the you know know the show like the back of their hands, know all the songs, right. and you think, well, fucking hell, you've got this group of people who all get on really well, have got this unique skill set. All of a sudden, now would be the time if it's ever going to fucking get made into a film. Now would be the time to do it. So I thought, just give it a go and see if there's enough appetite. Um, among people to to make it into a film. Cool, sounds brilliant. I'd love to see it. Can I just bring it up? We'll show a small clip of it here. Go on in. I've got a wee video. We'll just watch this. It's about a minute long. This is Shannon Matthews the musical. Now you can help us crowdfund Shannon Matthews the musical, the movie. I've got the tightest clip on the Jewsbury Morris day. Everyone knows that. It's like a 12 year old. And if we get 500 backers before Friday, October the 21st, when the crowd thunder closes, we'll also make a trailer for the great sausage roll swindle. Lad Baby, the musical. Yes, my. Scan the QR code or go to shannonmatthews.co.uk for links. Cool stuff. It looks really, really fun. And uh, I was going to say about that. 
can't remember, but you were going to say know. if you think that's a good idea and you want to go and uh, uh, join in the Kickstarter, go to shannonmatthews.co.uk and you can find the links there. Exactly. Uh, support the Kickstarter till Friday. Was it something along them lines? It was exactly. I've actually shared the link in the the TV, in the website here, but that's the better one that you've you've said there for Thanks, people mate. to go. It's more direct. So you've done well with the Kickstarter launch, though, because you've got the target already, and now you're wanting to kind of make the better the movie as better as you can. So the more donations, obviously, that's not going in your hip pocket. They're going to be made and put into the movie to make it as good a production as you can. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the, the idea was originally like the minimum. The minimum we could do it on was was ten grand, which you know, for an hour and a half film with eleven songs in, it was gonna be a real fucking stretch, but we were gonna end up doing a lot of green screening here in the shed. But now we've exceeded the target. Um yeah, it just means we can kind of get a proper studio space to set up, you know, uh, set up some of the sets and and just do it a bit more properly. Hopefully pay the actors something. And um uh yeah the money we've raised over and above the target we've put into um going to have a lot of proper premiere uh, in London and another premiere in Leeds. Cool. Uh, can you have two premieres? Premiere and a, a, and a Duzzy M or something? Um, An after show premiere. <laughs> uh, and then, uh, cool. um, yeah, and, and um, uh, yeah, we, we've put loads of little extras on, like um, uh, making a making of documentary and, uh, and stuff like that. Aye, so if people want to donate a bit more, they get a few extras to help the movie get made. And then um, Stuart, Stuart Lee's apparently looking forward to it. There's a few um, clips. Was that, was that real? Stuart, yeah, Stuart Lee came <laughs> came along and saw it in Edinburgh. We had Stuart okay. Lee come along and um, Henning, Henning Wen. Henning right. Yeah. Right. Cool. Uh, so that's all going to take place when? Um, are you, you going to write it? and like Because you, you're going to have to think of these music videos and how they're all going to pan out. I'm guessing in the movie, each one's going to be a video for each song. Yeah, that's 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 the idea is to kind of make the older set pieces are going to be like, you know, like a Ken Loach or a Mike Lee film, kind of gritty kitchen sink drama, oh. and then just sort of explode into Karen's fantasy world when the songs, oh. for, for oh. the songs. Cool. But I think so. you can kind of, you know, you know, like Family Guy in the in the kind of cutaways, just go to the the Aye. weirdest, you know, <laughs> just explore your imagination a little bit. Aye. So have you got, I mean, that's obviously you've got the money. Now you have to kind of plan when that's going to get set up and recorded. Are you going to be recording it over the year or is it going to be one kind of production of the whole thing? Ho- hopefully. Um, I know like the actors have all saved a big block of time for January. So hopefully we'll get most of it filmed in January. Right. But I think... Um, because, because of how we're going to do the songs, the editing, the editing and stuff is probably the thing that's going to take take the time. And I've sort of set a date of maybe like next October to right. to for, to release it, just just to kind of give us plenty of time to do it properly, so we're not you know rushing it. That sounds awesome. And are you going to be doing any stage work or that in the meantime? Or have you totally given up the tours and stuff? You send it. As I've a... got I've got half a dozen gigs with the band. Right. Um, at Christmas, um, and then uh, just before just before we do our, our Christmas single release, and then next year I, I just don't know. Like, just I'll probably just do like odds and sods because I don't know. I, 
I, do you know what? The older I get, the harder I find to plan beyond next week. Like, <laughs> you know, the, this is my worst nightmare at the moment, having two fucking things on the go at once because I'm doing the Christmas single and, and trying to get right. the music. <laughs> yeah, but like, I like to do one one thing, see it all the way through, get it finished, and then go, right, what are we going to do next? But it, it just don't work like that, does it? You just got to. Well, I'm doing a bit a million different things at once, so I wish I just had two. So, <laughs> well, you're you're clearly you, you you know you must have a really good vagina to be multitasking in that way because, yeah. as I, I understand, anyone with a cock is unable to multitask. <laughs> yeah, that's true. I'm not saying I do them very well. That's the problem. You you focus on something and bring it to a good fruition. I need to actually learn a bit of that, you know, because you can get distracted doing too much, and then nothing gets finished. So. That's that's something I've always liked since since the start is just try and try and fucking finish your project. You know, you can't all you can't always do it and it don't always work, but just try and finish your project, draw a line under it and and move on to the next thing. Cause I don't know, like I think I'm, I've got that kind of com- compartmentalized mind like that where I need to get something finished. Otherwise my brain goes like fucking scrambled egg if I've still got the 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 last thing hanging over. You know when I'm kind of starting the new thing. Aye, yep. So anyway, I've enjoyed all the things that you've done over the years. Cunt, you've been a source of great entertainment to m- not just myself, to many people online and live as well. So congratulations on the great work and the three chart hits. Looking forward to Christmas number one this year. Band so, weapon. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, is there anything else you'd like to tell people about, or direct them to your site, or any anything in particular? Um. Oh, I, I tell you what, I, I don't want to don't preempt it too soon, but um, <coughs> uh, just before the Jubilee, my YouTube got taken down. Aye, so aye. what I'll be doing probably just after Christmas is, um, I did this once before in 2011 when my YouTube got taken down, is I'm going to put all my videos up into the public domain um, so <laughs> you can kind of, people can download them and just put them all over social media um, and just share them, share them wherever, just to kind of, you know, use the business model of a paedophile ring. Is if, if everyone's kind of out there, you know, wanking on their own laptops, rather than if the paedophiles were all in one porter cabin, you know, which was my YouTube before, and the police come and shut them down, that's the whole ring fucked. Whereas that's now, good. let's spread the, you know, spread the ring out. So when please find people's computers, there'll be lots of cunt on the hard drive. <laughs> it'll be old cunt, though, not young cunt, so that's not yeah, too bad. exactly, yeah. <laughs> anyway, man, thanks very much for your time. If you hang around two seconds, we'll say goodbye later. But everyone else, thank you very much for watching the show. Hope you enjoyed Cunt and the Gang. Certainly I did. And I'm looking forward to Shannon Matthews, the musical. So go and d- donate to it there at, what was the donation page again? ShannonMatthews.co.uk Simple as. Go there. In the meantime, thanks for watching. Cheers for now. Bye-bye.